Welcome to The Microscopists, a bite-sized bio podcast, hosted by Peter O'Toole, sponsored by Zeiss Microscopy. Today on The Microscopists. Today on The Microscopists, I have a special episode about Bioimaging North America featuring the executive board members themselves. And coming up, Alison North shares her motive for wanting to set up a community like Bina. I realised that Europe and also places like Australia, Singapore, whatever, they all had these networks and they were all streets ahead of the US where there was no network and there were just many, many, many core facilities now across the entire country. Claire Brown gives us an example of how they aim to emulate and learn from other technique-based community organisations. We did a session specifically on how did the flow community get standards and quality control so integrated into their workflows and, and we got lots of really good uh, tips and advice from the flow community of things we can do in microscopy to try to implement things more smoothly based on their experience. And Nikki Biley explains how Bina aims to complement rather than compete with other available bioimaging resources. You know, we felt it was important not to compete with what was out there already because there are plenty of great places to find resources. So rather than trying to draw traffic away from them, we wanted to complement what was already out there. So we don't always deliver exactly what somebody wants, but I think by working with them, we come to realize you know, that there's a solution that will work for everybody. All in this episode of The Microscopists. Hi, I'm Peter O'Toole, and welcome to this special edition of The Microscopist. Today, we're talking bioimaging North America. And today, we have with us Alison North from Rockefeller. We have Claire Brown from McGill. And we have Nikki Bailey from Bioimaging North America. Uh, <laughs> so actually, I'm going to start just, just for the audience, so everyone gets to know you a little better and where you're from. I'm going to start with you, Nikki. Nikki, can you just tell me a bit about your background, please? Um, so actually, I'm a pharmacologist by training. I went to uh, the University of London, King's College, actually. And then I did a postdoc in the US in a pharmaceutical company and then one in Germany. And when I came back to the States, because my husband dragged me back here, um, I, I went into the lab for a little while, but realized that wasn't really my cup of tea. And I started working on more sort of community different projects. And actually, that's how I first got to meet Claire, um, running a big uh, grant for the University of Virginia called the Cell Migration Consortium. And then, you know, I, I've pretty much been in um, these sorts of community efforts since then, so about 20 years almost now, um, but more sort of cell biology based and oriented around developing tools for microscopists. So I'm not a microscopist myself. I did a little EM work that I didn't actually do, of course. I had a core facility take care of that for me back when I was doing my early research. And I did some early um, histology work, but I've I've spent a lot of my time supporting um, microscopists in this more community-driven effort. So again, with the Allen Institute for Cell Science in Seattle, we developed tools for uh, microscopists. And then Claire approached me and said, you know, we've got this great project that we're trying to get off the ground. Would you be interested? And I looked at it and said, yes, that would be wonderful. I would love to, to get involved in another project along those lines. So that's kind of where I've come from, a pharmacologist who sort of stumbled into microscopy and cell biology. I like the fact that it was a cell migration side, where it sounded like you migrated around a fair bit before you... <laughs> a little bit, yes. <laughs> I don't wonder if there's any diffusional properties with that. Alison, <laughs> would you like to briefly introduce yourself? 
Sure. I'm a cell biologist by training. Um, I started a PhD that was meant to be on confocal microscopy, but the confocal never worked. So I did electron microscopy. This was the very early days of confocal. So I then became an immunoelectron microscopist for a few years. And I went back. That was uh, I did a postdoc in Austria in Salzburg, which was wonderful. And then I went back to Manchester and I got a Welcome Trust Career Development Fellowship. And I still kind of giggle because they said in the interview that they would give me one, but they felt it was wrong that my background was only microscopy. I really needed to learn molecular biology and cloning. So I spent four years failing to do molecular biology and cloning. But they said that there was no job that only consisted of microscopy. And then at the end of four years, I was headhunted for this role at the Rockefeller University to set up a light microscopy facility and have done only microscopy since then. <laughs> and I came here in um, 2000, which is very frightening. I meant to come for two years. And I'm still here. And that says it all. Thank you, Alison. <laughs> and Claire. So I am, my background is actually in physical chemistry, but uh, I found pure chemistry not so interesting. So I was always interested in living systems. So in grad school, I moved into a lab that was in a chemistry department, but studying cell biology using um, correlation microscopy techniques. And it was similar to you, Allison. We had one confocal for the whole university. And I used to go in on Saturdays just so I could get a good chunk of time to, to do my imaging. And then um, throughout my, I did a couple of postdocs, again, at the interface kind of between physics and, and cell biology at the Institute Curie. And then um, when I was uh, working on the Cell Migration Consortium, I ended up just helping everybody with their microscope stuff. So I was, I kind of became the microscopist in the lab, even though I was a postdoc. And then uh, when the position came up uh, here at McGill, I was like, oh, it would actually be my job to help everybody with their microscope uh, projects. And uh, that's how I ended up here. And, and I've always loved being on lots of projects and not just focused on, uh, on one thing. So it's a good fit. Thank you, everyone. So I, I maybe bioaging North America, whose idea was it to start with? <laughs> who, who, who thought we need to come together as a community? I'm going to let Alison answer that one. There <laughs> <laughs> was a joint decision. So there were people like me who had constantly been going to the European meetings, like the ELMI meeting, which is still my favorite meeting of all, um, all year round. Um, that's the European Light Microscopy Initiative, people who don't know. I also sneak my way in regularly to the UK facility managers meeting, as you know, Pete, because of yeah. my British accent. So I'd heard about all these amazing European initiatives and networking going on between European countries. And I'd sat in on Eurobioimaging discussions. And I realized that Europe and also places like Australia, Singapore, whatever, they all had these networks and they were all streets ahead of the US where there was no network and there were just many, many, many core facilities now across the entire country where people just didn't know each other. They felt completely disconnected. For example, I had an OMX microscope and even though the company was based in America, I got more training on it from attending the international OMX users group meeting with Lotar Shamela teaching us all how to really get the most out of it. So this kind of training wasn't really available over here. And I wanted to duplicate that kind of network over here. That was my motivation. But at the same time that I was deciding this, Claire was already running Canada Bioimaging, which I'm sure she will talk about in a minute. And then a whole group of us basically were, were feeling the same need to set up 
some kind of organization. And therefore it all came about really when we, a lot of us attended a meeting at Janelia, which um, Leong, Teng Leong Chu had invited us to. And we all got our heads together and said, right, now is time to actually do something about this and set up a national initiative. Now I'm going to hand over to Claire to finish her part of the story. It's very cool because actually I was at that meeting at Janelia. Nice. Uh, mm -hmm. no, yeah. And uh, Graham Wright, Singapore, was there. So he Correct. had a lot of countries to talk about what they were doing to, yeah. to emulate that. So exactly. Claire, you, you got Canada and biomaging through that. Well, why go bigger? Oh, bigger what is always more fun. <laughs> I always like, uh, yeah, including everybody. And and I. so what happened for me was um, we were setting up a Canadian network called the Canadian Network of Scientific Platforms, where we were actually trying to bring in people from all research infrastructure platforms, not just microscopy. And our funding agencies had told us, if you want to have a voice to the funding agencies, you need to, to be representing a large community. And they fund infrastructure across all the engineering and science and health science. So um, when I was looking into that, I had heard about global bioimaging and I started looking at their website and seeing what they were doing. And so I thought, well, I don't want to reinvent the wheel. I'm going to reach out to them and see how they set up what they're doing. So that was around 2015, 2016. I got involved with them. And then they told us they were partnering with national organizations. So that was when we decided to form Canada Bioimaging as a technology node of the Canadian Network of Scientific Platforms. So that was not too long before um, the Janelia meeting. And then at the Janelia meeting, they had asked me to come and talk about Canada Bioimaging. And uh, and when things started to move along after that, it seemed obvious to to include Canada in the in the North American efforts. So I do want to highlight, you know, this was a whole group of us, you know, Leong obviously mm. had also come up with the same idea because he'd been attending all these meetings. He and I actually were on the same panel for Eurobyte Imaging, so we'd met that way. So I think the idea was emerging yeah. in multiple people's minds at the same time. So mm -hmm. it's interesting, going to what did the Canadian network of scientific, I can't remember the exact platforms. platforms. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> It's not just microscopy. I mean, the focus of this one is bioimaging North America. It's bioimaging. It's microscopy, mostly light microscopy at this stage, if I'm not mistaken. Shout yes. But there's no reason what you've done and what we're going to talk about today isn't relevant to someone who does genomics or mass spectrometry or any of the other technologies or let's go to electron microscopy or even material scientists. It's that mm -hmm. network. And how many other networks, similar networks, exist for other technologies across Canada or North America or USA? So the big one in the USA is the ABRF, the Association for Biomolecular Resource Facilities. But the focus of that is more on infrastructure within the core facilities. We really wanted this to be about the people, about networking the people in as who are imaging scientists and about the expertise. And we do agree that there are things that are common across the whole platform. So in no way are we negating the need for the ABRF. It's a fantastic organization. Many of us have, are involved in that as well. But imaging scientists, we think, you know, they, they actually face unique challenges and really for them to be able to share their experiences and just networking the people and seeing the value in people's expertise is, is really what this organization, I think, is about. Claire, what would you throw in there? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would agree. And, and I, I think what I'm seeing in Canada from our, our Canadian Network of Scientific Platforms is some communities, <clears throat> excuse me, are way ahead 
So um, the material science communities are very well developed in Canada. There's a number of different networks in Quebec and across Canada, and they're focused on getting their technology also into uh, contact with industry. So there's a, a group in Quebec called Prima Quebec that is funded by the provincial government to get um, academic labs working with companies in, you know, device building and and things that can go on to medical devices and different things. So um, we've learned a lot from them um, also in building our our network of things to do, things not to do. One of the key ones that I, I keep hearing about is, is it's great to have a database, but if you don't have people behind the database, mining the database and making connections, then the database just sits on a website somewhere. And uh, that's been a really good example of something we've learned from other communities that we, we've avoided trying to do in, in Canada Bioimaging, for instance. There's also the uh, Microscopy Society of America, which deals mostly with electron microscopy and a lot with material science. And I, and I do think one, one of the issues that America faces is its sheer size. There are just so many people. You cannot have one meeting that's going to encompass everyone. And I think that is a difference between the USA, especially if you're also bringing in Canada and Mexico, as we've done and want to do, that, that's a big difference from, say, comparing us with, you know, a small European country. And so I think that's that's actually been quite a challenge. But I'm sure there are also other organizations. Nikki, what are we forgetting? Because I know you're so, networking with all of them. <laughs> so, well, I don't know about all of them, but the um, the flow cytometry community is, is, you know, it's pretty well networked and they are, you know, we're very well along with many of the things that we are also trying to address around sort of standards and things like that. So we are we are looking to, you know, how they have approached many of these things when we when when we're trying to address some of the standards for image data and that sort of thing um, within Bina and also more broadly within Quarep and the other groups that we're working with to try and get um, broader adoption of you know best practices and standards in in microscopy. Is that through Isaac uh, to the cytometry? Yes, I believe so. And I think Claire, were, you were you participated in a meeting recently, didn't you, in in Canada that they um, they had spearheaded, and we helped to sort of tease out of their program the things that were more microscopy related, so that our community could see what in the flow cytometry community um, was relevant to them. Yeah, I think one of the big powers of these networks is if we if we network with other networks, we can learn from them. And so I was part of a workshop at the Site 2 meeting with ISAC in Montreal recently, which I saw a lot of Peter at as well. And um, the uh, we did a session specifically on how did the flow community get standards and quality control so integrated into their workflows. And, and we got lots of really good uh, tips and advice from the flow community of things we can do in microscopy to try to implement things more smoothly based on their experience. But, so Nikki, are you aware or anyone aware of a similar thing for genomics across America or for mass spectrometry across? I am not, I'm afraid. I'm sure that they probably do exist. Well, um, I'm not sure how much they do because they, they, there's quite often fragments, but you know, biomedicine North America, if you'd have asked someone in that community, they may have said that, well, there must be something for bioimaging, but there wasn't until what, 16, 17, when it all kicked off. I just wonder how far ahead you are of other communities, uh, different technology platform communities. Right. 
obviously you're way behind the UK and us, but you know. <laughs> so I know in Canada, Genome Canada is a very big organization. And that sort of came about from the Canada Foundation for Innovation that funds the the infrastructure because they said they didn't want to put infrastructure in all these different labs. They wanted it centralized. So it's centralized in terms of the technology and access, but I'm not sure that they have a network like Bina where, where the people who are running the infrastructure and working with the researchers are building a community. So I would agree with you that it might be fairly unique and uh, forward thinking. Yeah, I, I'm not sure really. I think my colleagues in genomics and aspect, they certainly have meetings they go to. They certainly have networks of people. I don't know how much it's formalized across the whole USA. I just have to ask them. It's one of those conversations that actually never come up. It's funny you ask that question. <laughs> but I do think there is a slight difference in the techniques because I think mm -hmm. in those centers, it seems like the people running the center are you know, they are acquiring the data, they're handling the samples, they're doing more of the hands-on work. Whereas in our in our uh, facilities and imaging scientists, it's more about educating the users. A much, you know, an awful lot of our time is on that rather than on actually collecting the data ourselves. So that's why I think we have a unique challenge. And that's why I think it's so important to link the people and not just the technologies. Yeah, I, I, I wasn't thinking of linking the technology, bringing them together. I just think it's very good. What you're doing is a very good template for other communities. Uh, I know Mass Beck in the UK, they have their meeting, but it's, it is very different to the type of meetings that we run here and what you run there. But it's becoming closer because the instruments are getting more user-friendly, so mm -hmm. more used to interacting. So their roles are changing from being the hands on the ground to being more educational training on the ground and then doing the higher-end stuff, you know, not just all the turnkey stuff. Uh, so I, I think I understand why. How did you get it off the ground? So good and well having an idea and Leon had the meeting, Janelia, and you sat around and you decided, yes, we need to do it. That's the easy part. Then, then the hard part. How, what was the biggest difficulty you had in actually making it become Bina? I'm going to, Alison's laughing, so I'm going to go to Alison first. <laughs> That's an easy one to answer. Two failed grant applications. That was that was the biggest challenge. <laughs> About nine or ten of us got together on the on a committee. We started out and we said, right, you know, the only way we're going to move this forward faster than we can do by ourselves is to get funding, to get funding, to bring on people on board and actually have an organisation. And so we applied for an initiative and I hope I'm allowed to say this, but I think you're probably allowed to say when you fail to get a grant, it was actually an NSF initiative for a network of networks. And we did not get it the first year. Um, I think their, their comment was that we were sort of underdeveloped. There wasn't enough going on. And then we applied the next year and their comment was that we were now too developed. And in a sense, <laughs> oh, that we were doing so much already, we didn't need funding. So that was honestly <laughs> the biggest challenge and mm -hmm. frustration that we spent so much time trying to get money and thank god for the czi which then stepped in or czi as i would say in my nat native country so um but they really the, the saved the day by funding us and that is how we actually enabled to get being off the ground and hire nikki and vanessa, vanessa. who is sister yeah so the two of them have just like i mean the speed of movement of what's been happening has just accelerated beyond belief since we've had to have mm -hmm. since we've been able to have dedicated people on board let's say there's so many podcasts if we look at the african initiatives if we look at latin america initiatives so much of it comes back to chan zuckerberg initiative and czi 
Mm-hmm. It is. Yeah, CZR, you're right there, Alison, on the second pronunciation. <laughs> uh, it, 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 it has been really enabling. And it's interesting, you've got the funding, you could then recruit the staff, and I'm going to go to Nikki now. The advert went out. It's seed corn funding, really. You know, it's quite risky. I would say in the early stages, it's quite a risky job. Why did you say yes? Why did you go for it? <laughs> because it's exciting. And I, I I, really, so that's what I like doing is I like building these sorts of things. I like getting in at the ground level and helping, you know, wrestle those challenges to the ground and, and getting things up and running. Um, as I say, I, I went out to Seattle to help build the Allen Institute for Cell Science. And again, many of the challenges were new to me, but I enjoy that. I like I like going, okay, well, I don't know how to do this, but I'm sure I can find people who do, or I can figure it out. And that they had done an enormous amount of work, had the 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 volunteers. This was a this was all volunteer-based when I first started. And they'd done an enormous amount of work getting themselves organized into working groups and um, getting things off the ground. And so it really was a question of just sort of coming in and seeing the lay of the land and trying to help put some structure to it and and systemizing things to some extent just to try and help them chug along um kind not exactly on their own because they're so i liken my job to the person who goes around you know in tibet turning those drums just making sure everything keeps turning just touching stuff and making sure it keeps rolling <laughs> or or the oil in between the wheels of a, a piece of machinery i'm i'm there just to help facilitate and move things along and if somebody comes up with a roadblock I come up with a solution to eliminate that roadblock so they can keep doing what they are best qualified to do. So for me, that was the exciting part. Claire, you know, the group said, this is what we're trying to do. And I went, oh, that looks really exciting. I'd love to be a part of that. Well done, Claire, in getting <laughs> and Vanessa. But I, I'm going to just say, be really wary, because obviously Nikki really likes those new challenges of setting up new <laughs> Now you're established, you've got to make We've sure. We've still got lots of work to do. Yeah. We'll just keep finding roadblocks for her to solve. There you go. <laughs> I guess that, that, would, that would be a, 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 yeah, a major... Actually, thinking about this, how is it going to self-sustain going forward? So, I mean, that is that is one of the big challenges. And CZI or CZI are very supportive still. Um, they are actually helping put on uh, sessions to help all of the networks figure out how best to do that. So we actually just wrapped that up when we were at the meeting last week, last two weeks ago. Time is, time is yeah, challenging to keep track of these days. With with that with that in mind, and and Young was there, and also Antia from Eurobioimaging and Global Bioimaging to share their perspective on things. So they are trying to enable us, and I do think that we are we are building value that we can demonstrate to other funders. I hope that there's value in what we're doing. It would be a great shame, I think, if this didn't continue because I do feel that time and and money has been invested, which if a small amount. It doesn't take a lot of money. It really doesn't. A lot of this work really is people are engaged and want to do it. Organizing it and making sure it happens is the piece that's a bit challenging. And as as um, Alison and Claire pointed out, Vanessa coming on board and my coming on board has really helped move things along a lot faster because we can dedicate our time to keeping our eyes on all of these things and keeping them moving. And I think that they would both agree that this is also critical in core facilities, is having people dedicated to that sort of thing. There's lots of investment in 
equipment frequently and sort of infrastructure, but it really is about the people that are behind making sure that those things happen. So how is the industrial engagement side? <clears throat> you know, in multiple ways, uh, but actually are companies interested in sponsoring, actually donating money into Bina to keep it together and to help it move forward? I mean, Claire, who, have you got big sponsors or not? I think the the companies are contributing in a lot of different ways. Um, Allison could probably say a bit more after about the corporate partners working group, but we're really trying to, I think, take the lead from from the ALMI, from the European Light Microscopy Initiative, where the companies are really partners. So it's not just asking them for sponsorship and come, you know, set up a table at our our meeting. We really want to work with them. So we've been really working with them on standards and quality control. We've been talking about ways that they can train people in imaging facilities so they can do some troubleshooting themselves, especially if they're very remote or in areas that it's difficult to get service. And um, as far as the the different meetings and stuff, they're really interested in sponsoring people to travel to meetings. We're talking about running user group meetings in partnership with them where they would cover travel. And so there's lots of different layers. Um, I think really you know, sort of many prongs or many patches on a quilt rather than, you know, just a big donation to, to yeah. Bina per se. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm the co-chair of the Corporate Partners Working Group with Lisa Cameron at the moment. And we we started this group um, a couple of years ago and, and we felt very strongly that it was a partnership. And this, I think, again, this is like in a way... A, you know, a way of thinking I've inherited from Elmi. I, that's why I love that meeting because it is so clear that the the corporate people are viewed as partners, not just sponsors. Right from the first day with the football match, which I know you always take part in, Pete. So, but I, I think that sets the right tone. Right, we see them as our partners and our friends and, and colleagues as well. And I've also, of course, in running a course at uh, Woods Hole, which is just coming up at the end of next week. You know, we we need the people from the companies to bring equipment, they provide a huge amount of expertise themselves. And again, I think is totally undervalued in general by the scientific community. Most of the people working in the companies have come from research, either via a core facility or straight from a lab. So their, their expertise is enormous. And so what we're trying to do is work with these um, partners and, and actually establish um, activities that are useful for them as well as for us. So rather than it just being a one way, you know, how can they help Bina? It's like, well, okay, how can we help them? So one example of that at the moment, you know, we talked about them in meetings, in what ways can we help you? And they said, they find it hard to recruit good people to come and work for the companies. There's a lot of misunderstanding about what these roles involve. And so their suggestion was, please, would we run a uh, seminar series on careers outside the traditional academic path and so we've been doing that that's been sponsored it's on the third Wednesday of every month I think that's right Nikki yeah and uh, we have speakers coming up for the next few you know few months as well and actually it's proved incredibly popular because it's a way for graduate students and postdocs to find out what is a sales role what is a marketing role uh, what is a service role as well as you know all these different roles that you might not think about um, so that's one way that we've been working in them they also offer free internships, which I didn't even know that there are, that, I mean, paid internships, I should say. So, you know, people actually can go and work for them for a few weeks and get paid to do this and to learn about the different roles. But they find it hard to recruit people to actually, you know, take part in these because it's just a matter of advertising and reaching the right community. So they are 
thrilled to have our community as a way to like pass the information along to the researchers. So that's one other way that we're working with them. Um, the, the corporate partners working group is about half and half people who run core facilities or in research and people who are in the companies. Um, we're also at the moment, we are putting together a list, a database of support numbers and websites for technical support, application support. You know, this will be a way that, you know, whenever anyone in the university says to me, oh my gosh, my microscope's broken, what, what are the numbers to call somebody? It'll all be there. And this is all being done with the tremendous help of the um, database that, Vic, that Nikki has been putting together with Vanessa and with a group and with the help of a professional team. So I'm, I, I, maybe I should hand it. I mean, I think that's something that Nikki should talk about here. Well, Nikki. Uh, so, yes, um, we we have these databases where we are collecting all that information so that we can make them available. And I think what um, Alison is also alluding to is the Microscopy DB project, which we've both been involved with. Vanessa and I have helped um, sort of steer this. Uh, it's, again, a community effort. It It's not it's not strictly Beena. It's it's a community effort. Elmi are involved with it. Um, the global bioimaging team, there's a whole bunch of partners involved. And. The hope with this was to try to get as much comprehensive information that's related to microscopy to as many of the communities as possible with the lightest lift. And so what we had realized is that there are still plenty of good places where you can go to find this kind of information, but it's often not comprehensive because it means you have to go to multiple places to put that information. So for example, if you have a job or if you have an event happening, or you have a training or education resource, you tend to migrate to your own community website to put it into their resource database, which is great because you want your community to find it, but you would also probably quite like everybody else to find it. So by partnering with this Microscopy DB, which sort of underlies all of this, you can put it in and you're at the website that you usually go to if they're partnering with Microscopy DB, and I think we have nine or 10 partners now, and it will automatically then, then get disseminated to the other partners websites and we we are as as Alison pointed out and Claire we are for bioimaging scientists we're not just for academic bioimaging scientists we're for bioimaging scientists in the industry community as well so if they want to post a job in the job listings or they want to highlight their internship positions they go into that database and then they can appear on the Canada site the Latin America site the Elmi site all the other sites that are partnering so it's an opportunity to more broadly disseminate their content whether it be training content whether it be events that they're hosting or jobs and it's beneficial to our communities because they can now see a more comprehensive picture of what's available in the way of events, jobs, and training materials. So that is, again, something that we have helped spearhead with some of the funds from CZI, CZI, um, that we are, you know, delighted that the community is taking interest in and getting behind. Can I add in another thing? I forgot to mention it. And another exciting initiative that's coming from this database is that the um, one of the challenges, of course, is with demos, with equipment demos. It's very, very expensive to bring, bring a piece of equipment into a lab for a week and demo it. And it's also risky. We know that, you know, things get shipped, they get dropped, they don't work in the demo and, and they're perfectly functional pieces of equipment. So sometimes it's just not worth the money, honestly, because it will turn out that there is a similar piece of equipment available locally that someone can visit. Now, this, of course, is the premise behind Eurobioimaging, right? This is nothing new. Again, I've sat in on all the uh, meetings. I'm on the, the advisory committee 
And um, so we know that it's much more cost efficient to take people to sites. The problem in America is, again, people don't know where this equipment is housed. And so one of the things that Bina has been doing together with the Corporate Partners Group is actually ask core facilities, are they willing to advertise what equipment they have and whether they would be prepared to let someone come and visit them to try out this equipment. And so this is another way that the companies are now going to be able to access this information on the database and say, oh, look, you know, actually, there's a system here. I can just reach out to this person. They say they're willing for, you know, a demo to be held there. And I think that will benefit the companies tremendously as well. Yeah. So I would just add um, with the database, um, we use it for our Canada bioimaging website, and we were really struggling to keep our website up to date. And so we actually have an interface where it goes directly to the database for events and jobs, and it it stays up to date. So it's automatically uploaded from the from my cross PDB. And then if somebody is interested in events in Canada, there's a really easy filter tool, and they can just type in Canada and find the jobs in Canada. So that's been absolutely fantastic for saving time. And and then as Nikki said, being really comprehensive as well. I think keep it up to date. Especially when it comes to the resources that are available, the types of microscopes as they, as they become obsolete and new ones coming to replace it, keeping that up to date is a real challenge. At the RMS, we have the facility database. The biggest challenge is just getting people to update it. And and because it's such a low priority, getting it on there is a high priority. Updating it is a much lower priority. So it, it is a challenge. So you've got industrial members, you've got academic you know, research, community membership. How many members do you currently have? Ooh, well, <laughs> I gave a presentation yesterday, actually, at the um, Mexico Bioimaging, one of the Mexico Bioimaging workshops, and we are at 1,111. One, 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 one. Oh, nice. That's <laughs> so, yes. You say 1,111. Yes, I think it's probably a bit more now because I, I I was pushing heavily that we wanted um, more representation in Mexico, and I think we got a few more people signing up as a result of it. Um, but yeah, we're doing pretty well on our, um, you know, our Canada Mexico spread. It's pretty reflective of the populations of those countries, and we are about seventy four percent academic, and I think about. 12% um, from industry right now and the rest is sort of other which would include funding agencies and that sort of thing. So we are slowly trying to increase that uh, corporate partner um, membership but I think they often don't feel like you know if, unless they've had a chance to speak to us they don't realize that this is open to everybody because so yeah. many there are other you know other spaces where they're not allowed to play. They're not allowed to submit their their stuff or they have to say oh I'm corporate you know and be very clear about the the content that they're sharing you know they can't submit jobs they can't submit um events and things in in some of these areas sure. so as Claire was saying we've had very positive feedback about the microscopy db content and that people have had a much um broader or diverse representation in applications for courses they're seeing that their applicant pool isn't just coming from their usual sort of general demographic. They're actually getting applications from a much broader pool now because more people are able to see them. And in fact, the uh, database that Alison was referring to, it isn't actually in, it's the same back end, but it's it's a BINA base. It's not a microscopy DB base. It's, it is to highlight where our core facilities are in Canada, Mexico, and the US. And it's a little bit lighter lift, I think, than the RMS one in the sense that 
we direct people to the core facilities website. Again, we try to push traffic. We try to use what we have as a way to elevate somebody's um, existence and push traffic to them rather than diverting traffic from yeah. their pages. And the boxes that you can check are actually helpful for us because we have this exchange of experience, um, which is a bit like the global bioimaging's job shadowing. So if you go to that, you can filter all the um, facilities that are in Canada, Mexico, and the US that would be willing to host an EOE. And then you can select another box that, that tells you what technologies they have and what instruments. So you can go, oh, well, that's what I'd like to learn on. So it helps us with that program, but it also helps the corporate partners if they're looking for somebody to collaborate on and they're looking for a specific technology. It sort of helps narrow down the field of people that they need to reach out to. And, and some they, of your listeners are non, non-American, but I could, well, I'm a for a start, and I know other from Europe are members as well. Uh, really, more from keeping up, keeping up to date with what you're doing and how it's progressing. So it's interesting from outside. So you don't have to be from North America either. Alison, you were no. going to say something. I'm sorry. Well, first of all, that that actually you say it's for you to keep up. It's more for us to keep up with it, with everything that's been going on in Europe. We didn't want to reinvent the wheel. So all of our working groups have got. Um, international advisory members, I think, um, because we know that there are all these initiatives going on elsewhere and we just don't want to duplicate efforts. I was going to say the fact that I got it wrong just really yeah. confirms why it's so important to have Nikki and Vanessa there because these are the kind of things. No, it's all right, Nikki. I'm just saying it wasn't, it wasn't uh, wrong, no, no. Alison. It was it's just, wrong. it's a but technicality it's... because it's the same stuff on the back end. It's just right. not in the yeah. main. But this database. is the point. I don't have time to keep in charge of, you know, on top of all these things because I have a job to do in the facility as well. And that's been so tremendous with Nikki and Vanessa. And one cannot emphasize the importance of the number of times that I've dropped the ball on something, you know, and then they just give us a, a polite little reminder by email. And it's like, oh, yes, yes, we were supposed to be. In that. This happens every time before the corporate partners working group. They send out these emails and reminders. But that's what's been so enabling. And the other thing that's been so great with Bina, I think, is that because it's a we've had a small number of people sort of involved from the beginning in a sense setting it up. And we now are getting more and more people. And that's really critical that the working group spread and amplify the effect. But I do love the fact that, you know, I can have an idea and I can just say to Nikki, you know, oh, we think this would be a really good idea. And, and they're just so positive. They're like, oh, we can make that happen. And then they make it happen. And that's just tremendously exciting. And, but how much you tell us, going to ask, and maybe for Nikki on this one, you get given the ideas, but how much do you then re rely on the volunteers to help deliver those ideas? So generally, if they've come up with the ideas, they know it what it is that they they want. So they have to be a part of finding the solution because we want to make sure that they get what they want at the end of the day. The, the Microscopy DB project didn't exactly deliver what was originally requested just because I, you know, we felt it was important not to compete with what was out there already because there are plenty of great places to find resources. So rather than trying to draw traffic away from them, we wanted to complement what was already out there. So we don't always deliver exactly what somebody wants, but I think by working with them, we come to realize, you know, that there is a solution that will work for everybody. And I think that they they are an integral part of finding the solution is is what I would say. Okay, and Claire, 
So I'd just like to add, um, and this kind of goes with the sustainability of the network as well. And and um, when we were brainstorming early on in the formation of, of BINA, we really focused the working groups around the problems and challenges of the community and made sure that the people who were leading the working groups were people who were really vested in this, but also that it was maybe part of their day job because all of us uh, are volunteers who are who are doing the work. But if I'm volunteering in a group, say our um, Lattice Lightsheet user group, we've just purchased a Lattice Lightsheet in my facility. So it makes sense for me to spend time networking with that group and setting up meetings and reading the literature. And, and so we've been really conscious of aligning with the needs of the community. And I think when you see organizations that don't sustain, it's because they come up with an idea that aligns with the community, but then they don't check back and say, is this still what the community needs? Is this, you know, do we need to pivot? And I think that's something I try to bring to our board meetings and stuff to just, we need to constantly be looking for feedback of what we're doing. And should we do this event again? Should this working group continue? And, or is there a gap that we need a new working group and okay, we need a new working group, but then we also need someone who's willing to take a lead. And so I think it's it's kind of creating the structure to enable the community, but then really ensuring that we're aligned with, with what the community needs. Yeah, Alison. I just want to add, yeah, we've said all along, I mean, it's a huge amount of work from the volunteers on all of us who are really deeply involved. It's a huge amount of work. So it's only worth that amount of effort if we feel that something really positive has come out of it at the end. And so we, you know, keep polling the community this. And I, I think it's very heartening and encouraging when you hear positive feedback from people. So last week I was at a course in Montreal, which Claire was running a train the trainer course. And there were several people there who said to me how Bina had really changed their lives. These are people who, who work in core facilities where they're the only person running there and they just felt very, very isolated and like there was no support, nobody to talk to. And they wondered if the challenges they were facing were unique to them. So to hear back from them that these things have really made a huge difference in their lives, it's like, okay, now I feel that all the work was worthwhile. Mm -hmm. so, I, I've got two questions. I'm going to come back to it. What is your target? Do you have a target number for the end of this year? And do you have a, do you think... Do you, what are your targets for membership? Do you have any targets for your membership? So I will I will sort of jump in and I will say we're not necessarily targeting a specific number. We're trying basically to broaden our membership as much as possible, because as as um, Claire and Alison pointed out, we are fairly heavily core facility folks right now, which is terrific. We are here to support them you know, with the virtual events, because frequently they can't get away to things. As, as they pointed out, they're generally single person cause. We're here to support them however we can with their training and so on. But we are there also for the broader communities like the image analysis folks. And they may not have, they may not exist necessarily in a core facility in the United States. I know that in Europe, those people are often associated with a core facility, but not so much here in the US at the moment. We're also here for the people that like to build. So we are trying to broaden our uh, membership in those areas and also people that are just generally underrepresented, whether it's geographical or, um, you know, cultural, ethnical. We are trying to be as, as em encompassing as possible to bring what we all feel is a phenomenal career opportunity and and way to do research in 
in microscopy to a broader community and let them know that you know this group is here to try and support them in that so we are, we are actually we have an early careers group as well that's not a working group as such yet but it is a, a group of youngsters who are just wondering is microscopy for me is that where i want to end up going um and again we have an early um interest group around builders which is going to we hope solidify and become a working group at the meeting in Cuenavaca, um, not Cuenavaca, in Mexico in September. So I think it, rather than a specific number, I think we're talking about, you know, that. Alison? I was just going to say, I think I've really noticed it in the uh, careers seminars. I've been thrilled at, to see names I don't know almost exclusively because I think the early BINA events, the networking events, yeah, it was lovely. It was, but it, it was on the whole people that we already knew in core facilities. And it's been very exciting to run these careers talks and look on and see a list of 40 names, 35 of which are unfamiliar to me, because that means that new members are coming on board. Well, so actually, uh, someone from York went over to the US, uh, Andy Stone. Uh, he's been post over there and he's just gone to, is it, I don't know how to pronounce this, it's really bad, Brandis University, Brandeis University. Brandeis. Thank you. Uh, to run the core facility there or one of the like my crossby core facility so the first thing uh well so he gave me a call said what do i do you know what's going on so first thing is to join Bina. so it's great that he's got somewhere <laughs> that mm. you kind of know he's immediately going to have a support network and maybe maybe something that hasn't really been emphasized yet it is offering a support network and all these events of course the trainer trainers the other events we'll talk about it's really just providing a network that can support you and you can call on and can get help. Now, of course, I told him to join the RMS and he must go to Elmby to get a true feel for <laughs> what everything is. But I think the importance of having it on your doorstep and bringing it together is really important. And so actually, I, I would say thank you to yourselves for thinking of it, Nikki for supporting CZI for actually funding it, because otherwise Andy would be starting that job. And yes, he'll pick up the phone, he can call me, but to have someone in the same time zone even, and on your doorstep that has the same feel is so important. Claire. I just wanted to add, we had this uh, train the trainer course last week here in Montreal, and we had a huge uh, um, number of people from Mexico, which I totally credit to Bina because I, I met all those people through the Global Bioimaging Bina workshop uh, last February. And um, it was exactly that. So, so we had 14 um, attendees, but then we had 12 faculty and, and we, half the attendees had as much teaching experience as the faculty. And we really tried to set the tone that this is just a community to learn from one another. And a lot of the people who were leaving the course want to set up a course in their own uh, institution, which was the, the rationale behind the training. And now they, a lot of them said, now I feel like I have a group that I can reach out to. And when I'm putting together my course, I, I know people that I can can reach out to and ask for advice or, you know, bounce ideas or invite them to help, you know, to come and help. So it was really satisfying and, and you could really feel the the sort of being a um, both funding people to go there, uh, global bioimaging funding people to go there. And then, you know, it was a Canada bioimaging run event. And so it was it was a really nice sort of um, culmination of a, of a whole bunch of factors that I think achieved what what we've been trying to do. So it was very satisfying and, and a good week. But I just want to add to that as one of the people who was deemed to be faculty. I learned so much from the mm -hmm. Mexican participants. I couldn't believe it. And particularly, of course, they are way ahead of me 
and many other people when it comes to outreach to people who haven't even heard about a microscope. You know, that was so interesting to me hearing how do you approach someone who's never seen a microscope? So the amount that we learned from each other, it was incredible. You're not practice that every time you're in a taxi. They say, what do you do? <laughs> oh. <laughs> as soon as you say, oh, I play with microscopes, he's going, they're going to think about this little school microscope, not what it can really enable and how important it is behind almost everything, actually. You know, it, it, there's an, almost nothing in our lives that a microscope isn't involved with in some way. Uh, both materialist materials through to the aeroplanes that you're flying on through to the medicines you're given. Uh, it's always good to bring that in. We need more microscopies coming through. And it is the only technique that matters, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> You'll get full agreement here. <laughs> <laughs> Don't let my staff hear that. And of course, cytometry. <laughs> And genomics and metabolomics and basic <laughs> interactions. <laughs> okay, so I think it's it's also it's also you know we this the sort of networks within networks and the support for for that we're offering our community in North America, as you've as you know because you've done these with other communities, they're supporting in their local community, but we are all getting together. So we have a regular meeting with the administrative side of a lot of the other networks to just touch base with them, find out what's happening in their community, what they're doing. And global bioimaging is sort of the umbrella organization for all of us. And I think it's it's important that there's this, this system to be able to filter up and bring back down and filter up and bring back down so that, you know, you can you can reach the broadest community, but you can also filter things up to try and get consensus and agreement on what say best practices might might be or best trainings and then filter that back down again so without this sort of structure of all of these communities connected in a network it it's difficult to implement something that everybody that would then adopt that's that's sort of standardized so i think that's another strength of just all of these networks we all work together to try to provide that environment to enable that that kind of Great microscopy. Yeah, Alison, I was going to ask you, one of my questions was, is a lot of what you do is best practices and pick and mix of looking at what can work for you. It may be different to what can work for Laby, for Africa, for Europe, for UK. It's a pick and mix of what works best for your community. Alison, sorry, you're going to come in with something. No, I was actually just going to add in something else, which is on the science front. I mean, I find it impossible to keep on top of the literature and everything that's going on. And as you know, that's the importance as well of going to these meetings that we hear about all the science going on. And while we were at the meeting last week, um, Adan, who was a, a representative from Mexico, and, and he taught me about the work he's doing with a new image analysis method in effect to get super resolution data out. And I'd missed that paper. And now he sent it to me and it's like, again, it's just learning from these people. So I don't want it to sound as though, you know, either they're only involved in outreach. There's incredible high level science going on mm -hmm. in, in all these different places that it's just very hard to keep on top of. And so that's another reason why the networking is so important. Do you know, I, 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 so I registered for the uh, Laby and Bina meeting upcoming. And one of the questions on that registration form is, what is your challenge at the moment? I think it was the last question, voluntary. I thought, I should put something in anyway. And Alison, just to empathise with that, my, my, I think the biggest challenge is keeping up with the broadening, broadening range of microscopy techniques. Because they're really different. Mm. They are really, almost if you were to start new core facilities, you can almost see like microscopy course almost splitting in the future because they are mm -hmm. so broad now and merging into other technologies. Keeping up, 
properly keeping up, not just a broad awareness, it's really challenging. And so I, I totally agree with that. So from a Bina perspective, where do you see the biggest risk going forward? I, I don't know who to ask that for. So if you think of a risk each, I'm going to ask you for a two, two word, if you could do two word or three words of what you think the biggest risk is. So Nikki's looking confident. So I'm going to start with Nikki. Oh, right. Well, um, well, one, I think if we can't continue to do this sort of work, I think that a lot of the, the funding that's going out there is, is not going to get leveraged as well as it could be. And I think it's very important to recognize that it is, as we've said all along about the people. So making sure that they feel like they're adequately trained, as you say, it's, there's so much to keep up on. But what about um, the risk to BINA itself? To keep as, an to, as an organization, what is the biggest risks for BINA? Did anyone, Claire? Um, I would come back to my comment earlier of aligning with the community. I think it could be really um, uh, potential to get too broad and to mm -hmm. try to do everything. And you could come back to the technologies as well, right? To try to have too many working groups and too many different uh, goals and ideas. So I think keeping um, enough going on and staying aligned with the community, but not uh, not getting scattered, you know? And um, I think um, we have, I don't know if Nikki has it handy because I'm not gonna remember it off the top of my head, but we do have a mission and a vision statement. So I think always coming back to that and making sure that whatever we're doing is aligned with um, our mission so that we don't get fra fragmented and, and diluted out, you know? Any other thoughts? I would say, my biggest fear is that the the initiatives, that the actions that we're taking will reach core facility people, but not translate into the people doing research in their own labs who are minding their own microscopes. I mean, a lot of you were talking, Pete, about standards. And of course, all of us are heavily involved in um, QAREP, um, quality and reproducibility and like microscopy. You know, we're trying to establish a set of standards and, you know, one of the things that we're trying to implement in a working group I'm on is to try and and uh, set a checklist that the journals will implement um, for what you have to report in a in a paper about the microscope or the images or these kind of things. And I'm nervous because, you know, suddenly we all know the importance of these standards. We all understand that without them, you can't do reproducible science, but it is going to impose a lot of work on people who are not used to doing this. And so I'm just acutely aware that unless we get all of the researchers on board, you know, nationwide, that they all understand the importance of these initiatives, um, that it just won't move forward as a whole. So, so I'm interested that none of you are concerned about the funding of BINA. Oh, I think that's what Nikki was saying. I mean, I, that's how I took hers, or I'd have said that. Yes, I think that that was where I was going, is that, you know, <laughs> the, if, if the funders that have been funding us thus far obviously want to try and find others who will be willing to step to the plate and help support this kind of activity. And if we don't get anybody doing that, um, yes, I, I, you know, I think that we will lose out on something that really is gaining momentum and having adding extra value to the dollars that are being invested elsewhere. But you are now developing courses and events, different courses, different events. So they must oh, hopefully will start to recover their costs and some of them, the background staff costs involved. So Nikki Vanessa's salaries can start to surely be, start so, to be covered within that. 
so right now we don't have membership for Beena. It's free. And that is intentional because we want people to join and get engaged and be involved. And we are looking at different models for sustainability. And what we are hoping is that some of the resources that we are producing become sufficiently valuable that funders realize it's important to keep them going. The microscopy DB, the, the, the um, equipment database. I mean, when certainly in the United States, when um, infrastructure funds go out, they often are looking to find out what other infrastructures are there in the area. And if you could go to the, to the BINA site and see on the map, oh yes, look, there's, there's this instrumentation there. That makes the life easier of the funder, but also of the person who's submitting the application because they don't have to, they can find out quite easily what is in their local vicinity. I think that the way that Eurobioimaging is organized where really it's very clear where the technologies are and the instrumentations are. It helps their funding agencies know where to deploy their euros more effectively. And I'm hoping that we are producing the sorts of resources that appeal not just to our community, but to people who are in a position to help support us with maintaining it. And that also includes you know, the vendors. If they, they find it useful to know that there's a collaborator with that kind of expertise in that area that they could reach out to. Claire? Yeah. I would just say um, we've been working a lot in Canada to try to talk to the funders. And, and I think one of the challenges is that they don't really understand what we do. And I think a lot of people think a network is you set up an email list and you email everybody about stuff that's going on. And I think this podcast will be a great um, resource. And I think we need to continue to, to talk about what we do. And what became really clear for me recently is that we're... Um, what would be a horizontal organization and that we're we're helping everybody use microscopes so we're not a we're not in you know focused on cancer or immunology or material science we're really focused on microscopes and bringing that to all researchers and the funding mechanisms tend to be set up in silos right that that you're they're funding very specific projects and at the um CZI meeting recently, we had uh, NSF and NIH and the program officers were fantastic and they really, really wanted to help, but they were trying to find programs that they have that we fit in. And it was very clear that we really don't fit in and that they need new programs. And so I think that's a bigger ask, right? It's really a change of culture, a change of the way of doing science. And I really think that these networks and even facilities in general are asking for a change in the way we do science and really transforming how we work. So I don't think it'll happen quickly, but I think if people get it and we find ways to communicate the value of what we're doing, then, then it has a tremendous potential. I, th I think that's a really good point. And I think this is also where that pick and mix and looking at different countries. UK, Alison, you mentioned the facilities meetings that you gate crash because you're English accents, but actually anyone is welcome because it's sharing best practices. But actually all our major funders are there. You know, the Medical Research Council, and the BBSRC, so for the biological non-medical research side researchers, the physical EPSRC comes to that meeting as well. Welcome Trust quite often attend. And they're the people involved in awarding funds around the infrastructures, the equipment and the science. And actually, I, I, will, I will give a, a shout out to MRC and BBSRC who funded Biomaging UK, a, a similar initiative to Biomaging North America. It wasn't it didn't fit one or the other. It fit both. And actually, the research councils, so the funders in the UK are quite good at having a centralised pot that doesn't fit one or the other, but coming together to do that. It's not easy. 
Yes, mm-hmm. I don't want to give anyone the illusion that any of this is easy. And as you said, it takes time and convincing. But the wonderful thing is when the funders are actually at the meeting, they're listening, they're hearing, they're seeing the value of it and what else it can do. Uh, I, I, I presume, I don't know, besides, I, hopefully, Chanzak and Berkeley or Biomaging will be at Beaner and Navy, but are other funders attending as well? Nikki, you were? They're mostly going to be they're registering to attend virtually because our meeting is going to be hybrid. So mm-hmm. they may, some of them definitely will be there in person. And certainly some of the local representatives in Mexico, we hope, will be there in person. But I think that, um, you know, NIH and NSF, it's, they, they don't have budgets to necessarily travel yeah. out of the country to go that, to those sorts of things. But we're hoping that they will participate um, virtually. Are they, are they talking at the meeting? They are not talking at this one. So the program for this one sort of solidified a little earlier on, but we will. We already have the dates for our uh, Bioimaging North America meeting in 2024. Would It'll you? be in Madison, Wisconsin in September. I believe it's it's around the same sort of time. It's that that last week in September, full week in September. Um, yeah, I can't look at my calendar because that's 2023, but uh, it's the same sort of general time. And we are piggybacking it with another meeting that um, Kevin Alasari is going to be organizing around open hardwares and that sort of thing. Oh, so cool. um, we're hoping to be able to you know, bring more folks from uh, the funding agencies to that. But as I say, we hope they'll they'll participate virtually with this one. And and I did just want to say that, you know, I, uh, the, 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 the way we recognize good science is going to have to have a culture shift as well. We're pushing for fair in all that we do, but fair generally means that you need to start being a little bit more collaborative. So, you know, recognizing ways of demonstrating and measuring that you are being collaborative, that you are sharing your data and you getting points for that when you apply for funding is is not there right now. And I think we need to find ways for that to be possible. And, you know, we frequently get people asking us, you know, well, I'm a member of this working group. How can I put that onto my resume and make it look like I'm actually doing something? Because I am actually doing something. (laughs) And Alison, you were wanting to come in on this as well. Uh, Yeah, I just wanted to add in that I think one thing that's helped us excuse me, will be the um, the fact that the NIH brought in these new this new requirement for data management plan in every grant. And so up until now, it's been it's been more sort of we see the need for good data management. We can see how it helps us now that it's actually required. Everyone's talking about, oh, gosh, how are we actually going to implement this and make make sure of this? So certainly in my university where I work, this is, has led to long conversations between the faculty, uh, the head of the library, the library. Um, IT and and us in in core facilities. And I think this is really going to help push things forward. And the other thing I wanted to say was just that I think we have to keep remembering that Bina is really young. I mean, I've come to the ALMI meetings and I've heard year after year after year the update on Eurobyte imaging. And I take my hat off to Antia Kepler for this (laughs) publicly because, you know, so many times she would talk about this and you felt like, wow, you know, when are they going to get funding? And now they've been applying for all these grants and they... I think when I when they spoke last year, they got seven grants they'd apply for or something. I mean, it's extraordinary how that team have really pushed it forward. And so, you know, I am... 
I am worried about being a funding. I don't want to see all our work come to nothing, but I also feel hopeful because I just think the, the sheer passion of everyone who's involved in these efforts, we don't want it to fail after all this work. And we, we've only been formally in existence since 2018. I mean, that's nothing, you know? So we'll follow Antia's lead and we'll keep moving. Yeah, you, hardly the RMS with what 180 years. <laughs> exactly, the RMS, another amazing organisation. Yeah, you know, we are we are just over the hour, and I was going to ask, and I'm still going to ask one last question: What is your favourite meeting? And I'm going to start with Nikki. Oh my goodness. Um. Well, I have to say ours because <laughs> um, I've got to. Yeah, I think ours because I we are we offer it hybrid. And I think if COVID taught, taught us one thing, it was that making it possible for as many people to participate as you can is really the ideal way to go. We are still working on making the virtual experience as rewarding as the in-person experience, which is a challenge when you run a hybrid meeting. But I think that making that available at least means that you are being as inclusive as you can be. So I... I would encourage others to try to consider if if they can't make it hybrid at that moment to maybe record stuff and put it online afterwards so that people can still be a part of it. And I love the fact that ours are, there's no registration. Essentially, you, you pay for your hotel room and your food. There's no markup at the moment that, that helps to support us. Maybe that will have to change, but I hope it doesn't because as I say, it, it makes it as attainable as we possibly can make it. And there's no fee to be virtual. So that our facility meetings UK are also free to attend without in those because the companies all pay to attend which sponsors. So it's their sponsorship is their attendance sponsors, the academic side, which is it's not the easiest funding areas for people to go to. Claire, what's your favorite meeting? I have to say the global bioimaging meeting because it's uh, also combined with travel and seeing the world. And I've really enjoyed uh, going different places and seeing what different communities are doing. And I would say that I brought all of that to Canada Bioimaging and Bina as well of what I've seen working well. And we integrated a, an outreach activity in our course last week because I had heard about it at a meeting in Mexico, you know, so I really enjoy the international community. Now, I, I, do you know, I've not been to a big global bioimaging, so that's one I've missed and I can't go to it this year either. So, but next time. J Japan 2024. <laughs> I need to get that in the diary. Alice, <laughs> your favourite meeting? I think you've already said once. I have already said, but but and I've already said Elmi, and it's partly because of the talks and the workshops and everything about it. But it is also because Elmi, people keep saying the Elmi family, the Elmi family. And I think that is the point. And, and, and after I had um, a severe medical issue last year, the, the number of emails and tweets I got from the Elmi community just sending it to me internationally of support and, you know, caring was just incredible. So that's why I love Elmi. It's not just because of the science, it's because of the people. I'm very excited about the upcoming Bina Labi meeting in Guanavaca. And I'm actually much more excited now than I was two weeks ago. And the reason for that, yeah, I mean, I was excited anyway, don't get me wrong, Nikki. But the reason for that is because last week, because I met so many people, at the Montreal course who are going to be there. And now it's like, okay, now I feel that that my Bina family is not just uh, North America, but also I've met a lot of the Canadians at the meeting last week. And I've met a number of the Mexicans and people from, you know, the, the other countries involved, you know, Uruguay and whatever. And I just think, so it, 
it changes it. I think we're all human, right? If you if you go to a conference and you see people you know who you think of friends and not just colleagues, but you think of them as friends, it, it makes the meeting so much more enjoyable. So I'm very excited to go there now. So just in case anybody knows, I'm going to do a, a plug for it. It's the 25th through the 29th of September, and you can go to our, we, our, our website to register. We're still open until the 20th for in-person registration of this month. Well, I'm not sure that when this goes live, uh, but it will be close. Oh, that's true. That Sorry. No, it's okay. Uh, but of course, you've got the plug for 24 already. That's true. Yes, 2024. <laughs> Similar dates, 23 to, through 27, I think, of September. I look forward to seeing how Bina develops in the future, how you develop your own Elmi, because you need to develop your own Elmi, <laughs> not just through that Bina meeting, but actually a, mm -hmm. a, it's a different emphasis to, to that. And I wish you all the best with it. I, I, you're going to have some challenges, but you've we've got, got... We've got Nikki. Yeah, <laughs> and you have and Vanessa, and you have a big... Yes, a big, big community. Massive opportunity out there to, 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 to expand into it and to do so much... In what five years? Ah, oh, come on! You're gonna you're gonna cruise it, Alison. It'd be totally remiss to allow this to end without acknowledging the huge input of work by Kevin Elisari, who has not only been co-chair with us, and he's not on this call, but he has hosted the Bean organization at the Mortgage Institute. Kevin came on later, which is why Claire and I really started up. We then brought Kevin on because we knew we needed someone who was deeply into image analysis. But he just has jumped into it headfirst and put so much work in, and we are so grateful. And Claire? I would just want to add uh, Liang and uh, Ancha because they were the ones who spearheaded that meeting at Janelia that really brought the European community and the other networks together to, to show the North American community what was happening and, and sort of plant the spark of, uh, of getting things started, so. And Vlad from CCI and the others of the team, but particularly Vlad. <laughs> and everyone we've forgotten. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, 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 it'd be miss for me not to comment on Alison's whiteboard that says, don't forget, join Bioimaging North America. Uh, very good plug. We have to go because it is way over the hour now. Thank you for everyone who's listened or watched mm -hmm. and thank you for your patience to the end. But I, that's gone so super fast. I hope you found it just as interesting. And actually, even I have got new ideas. So I've been writing down new ideas, what we can do within the RMS from listening to you. So this is a two-way process. Everyone, brilliant today, but what you're doing is fantastic. And I wish you all the best in the future. Thank you. Thanks, Pete. Thank you, Pete. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Microscopists, a bite-sized bio podcast sponsored by Zeiss Microscopy. To view all audio and video recordings from this series, please visit bitesizebio.com forward slash the microscopists.